would bring unity in this body on this topic. We love one another and respect one another well in it. So please help us as we look at this, even as we discuss it afterwards in uh, cross-training. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So this morning, uh, so if you're in a small group and you're going through the spiritual gift series, there's a chapter called Those Controversial Gifts. So I didn't, I didn't name that chapter. I'm just trying to sync up my sermons with the uh, with the spiritual gifts uh, book that everyone's going through. Um, and so I think it's helpful that we look at this, but I kind of hope that it won't be super controversial for us, you know? So I'm kind of like, by naming it those controversial gifts, I'm kind of thinking, hopefully that doesn't really apply to us in the way we interact with this, the way we talk about this. This morning we're talking about the miracle gifts, speaking in tongues and prophesying in particular. We might even talk a little bit about healings We'll see if that comes up or not, but um, we, we are going to be looking at the miracle gifts this morning. So to start out, I think it'd be best to review really briefly the two major views on miraculous gifts. So speaking in tongues is speaking in other languages. We're going to talk about that a little later. And prophesying seems to be uh, speaking a word from God to somebody else. I'll, I'll give more exact definitions as we go, but for now, uh, can we get up the next slide of uh, cessationism versus continuationism. Now, before you zone out and say, I don't care about either of those words, sorry, pastor, uh, just stay with me for a second. So, cessationism says that the miracle gifts, speaking in tongues, prophesying, uh, heal, healing gifts, for the, they, they don't deny healing, they don't deny that healing happens, but like the, the gift of, of healings, that sort of thing, um, there's a, one camp called cessationism, and they would say that those gifts have ceased being given to the church today. Now, the reasoning goes something like this. They would say that the church is what was authenticated in the first century by signs and wonders. So if you came into a church, you're like, hey, you guys teach that a dead guy came back to life? A crucified guy? Your Messiah came back to life? You know, no way. You know, don't, don't tell me that's what this is. And, and you can't tell me you're, you're an official offshoot of Judaism. You know, that's just not. And so they were doing signs and wonders, and it was like, this is real. God is amongst you. It was authenticating the message of the resurrection. Now, I totally believe that's true. I believe that's one of the reasons God gave signs and wonders in the first century. I believe that's one reason he gave speaking in tongues in the first century. But cessationists say that they stopped being given because the church no longer needed to be authenticated as genuine. There was not that need in the second century, so tongues died out. Uh, the other argument they're going to make is in 1 Corinthians 13, it says one day tongues will cease. I mean, that's what it says. And, and I totally believe one day tongues will cease. I mean, that, that's what the text says. The question is when. And, and, and the verses say, when the perfect comes, the imperfect disappears. So what's the perfect? Some people will say it's the word of God. We have the word of God. We don't need tongues. That's one argument. Now, the third argument for cessationism goes something like this. Uh, we know from church history that there were a lot fewer reportings of speaking in tongues after the first century. <clears throat> it seems to have dwindled and only cropped up in a few different isolated 
places. So experientially, historically, there wasn't a lot of tongue speaking until the 20th century happened. And then there was like a revival of it. And so people will point to that as evidence that God stopped giving the gift. Now, I don't think cessationists need to be nasty and mean-spirited to those who speak in tongues. I, I, I don't think they need to be that at all. They could just be like, you know, what, what, if you're speaking in tongues, I just don't think that's genuine. I think you're trying to do something authentically, but, but they would say, I don't think that that's the real deal, you know. And so I don't think there needs to be any nastiness here at all. It's just, it's just how they view that particular, uh, that particular issue. Of course, I've met arrogant cessationists as well, but I'm not going to talk about them right now, okay? Um, and and, and, they're, and they say some more nasty things, and hopefully none of you are them. Uh, then there's continuationism, and as you can imagine from that big long word, continuation means tongues and prophecy, those gifts continue being given to the church. And what they will say is things like, uh, Paul says, do not forbid speaking in tongues, so why would we forbid something that Paul says don't forbid? We're going to look at that verse today, by the way, as we look at 1 Corinthians 14. And they're also going to say, uh, Paul says in another place, don't despise prophecies. Don't despise them. So I'm supposed to not forbid tongues and not despise prophecies, so I should be more welcoming of these things according to what Paul says. Continuationists also say that if you want to look at history and make history one of your, your, your basic rationales. And by the way, I do think cessationists make history one of their main arguments. To be fair, as I've listened to cessationists, they tell me this, history, continuationists say we can use history too. In the 20th century, there's been a resurgence in tongues because God gave it. Okay? So, so both camps look at history. They're just interpreting it a little bit differently, right? Okay? So, um, history's not going to be my deciding factor, and I hope it would never be for you either. Like, it, it, it's part of the puzzle, but it's not, but we stand on the Word of God. We compare all experiences to the Word of God, right? And hopefully you'd all amen me in your hearts. Because you didn't out loud. Okay, just kidding. Okay, um, I grew up cessationist. When I was at Moody, I was cessationist, and I wrote cessationist research papers, and I got good grades on them. Okay? There, there it is. Uh, amen. There we go. All right. All right. There we go. <laughs> anyway, never mind. Um, what the, the, the verse that changed my mind, and it was one verse, was 1 Corinthians 1.7. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, so you might as well turn there. We're going to be in 14 in just a minute. But 1 Corinthians 1.7 changed my mind. I'll start in verse uh, 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. And here's verse 7. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7 was it for me. And, and, and if you didn't catch where that's going, here, here's my logic, and, and see if this would be yours as well, perhaps. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, you guys are exercising all the spiritual gifts as you wait for Jesus to return. Paul, in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 1, doesn't seem to have in his mind at that time this 
this uh, ceasing of tongues that was about to happen. He seemed to think the Corinthian church would go on and on and on and on and use all their spiritual gifts, including tongues, including prophecy, including healings, until Jesus came back. That verse changed my mind. Um, I'm not asking anybody to change their mind this morning. If you're a cessationist, I'm happy if you walk out that way. If you're a continuationist, I'm happy if you walk out that way. I know that there are those here in this church that joyfully speak in tongues. I think they do so sometimes on Sunday mornings to themselves and to the Lord. And I welcome that as they do it to themselves and to the Lord and maybe not for everybody here. I welcome that. Um, But however you walk out today, and you don't have to be convinced by me, I just want to look at Scripture together. I want to look at 1 Corinthians 14. And hopefully, whatever we get out of chapter 14, you're going to see it's about tongues and prophecy, but it's about so much more. So would you go to chapter 14? 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Starting in verse 1. I'm going to try in the next 10, 20, 25, 25 minutes to get through this whole chapter. I will probably fail. So, um, let's see, let's see how far we get, and, uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that, and, uh, we'll either continue it, or we won't, we'll see. Um, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Stop right there. So this is Paul's lead-in after his love chapter, he's getting back to spiritual gifts, which means he never really left the topic. Love is all about spiritual gifts. But he says in chapter 14, verse 1, Pursue love and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So get up point one. I think this is really important. Oh, wait. Go to the next slide. We'll go back to that. Oh, Keep this straight. Pursue love and desire gifts. This is the way Paul says it. Pursue love. Active. Actively pursue love and desire Desire gifts. Don't confuse those two things. Because that will mess you up. Love is within everybody's reach. You know, some people walk into church, you know, and, uh, well, go back to the first slide. It'll help this point a little bit. Um, one of the words in 1 Corinthians 14 is this Greek word, oikadome. The emphasis is on the last syllable, which I hate. But oikadome, um, which makes it an interesting word to say, right? Oikadome, but it's an awesome word, and it means build up, as in constructing a house. It's a construction word. Or edify, or strengthen. And in chapter 14, that word occurs seven times. And I'm telling you, throughout the whole chapter, it's all about oikadome. It's all about that. You think it's about tongues? You think it's about prophecy? No, it's about that word. Worship is supposed to build up believers. Spiritual gifts are supposed to build up believers. All of us are supposed to build up believers. That is the word. It's used seven times. I put an asterisk by verse four because it comes up twice. Um, that's the word that jumped out at me as I'm reading this passage over and over again. <clears throat> now, back to point one. Paul says, keep it straight, pursue love, desire gifts. Some of us walk into church and we come in and we're like, Love me. I'm here to be loved. Love me. But Paul says, you you ought to be the one pursuing love as the one who loves. As the one who builds up. You're the one supposed to come in and say, who can I love? Now I know 
in different seasons of life, you'll come into church and it'll be a really hard time. You've had a bad week. And you may rightfully feel the need, like, I hope my church family loves me well today. That's fine. That's good. We should expect to be loved when we get together. But, but to, come, to come straight at this, <clears throat> Paul's like, you ought to be pursuing love. You ought to walk into church, whether it's a house church like he's talking about, <clears throat> or a much larger place. How many need water? Can you give me some water? <clears throat> you know what happened? I was talking last night at the farm, you know, at the harvest party. And it's so loud in there, and so I have to increase my voice. And so, yeah, I'm paying for it. I'm paying for it. Okay. But I had a great time with everybody. Um, you come in there and you pursue love. But then he says, desire gifts. So, so, so desire them, meaning if I get this mixed up and I start pursuing gifts, that means I'm telling God what I'm going to do, you know. I mean, and, and maybe you've seen this. <clears throat> People that say that everybody should speak in tongues. You should all be doing this. Now, Paul says, I wish that you would, but he also says, do all speak in tongues? And the answer is no. They don't all do that. So when I pursue a gift and try to do it, even though God hasn't given it, that may or may not be a good thing. Because I know not all of us have the gift of evangelism, but the Great Commission says all of us are evangelists, right? So all of us have to serve outside of our gift in some ways. But in other ways... If you don't have a gift, you may not want to try to do whatever that thing is. But you may want to because you feel good about it. You may not be a teacher, but you want to do it because it makes you feel like, well, I get to be in front of everybody, you know? And that would not be the right motivation. I think I've met a few people that wanted to do a certain gift in a certain area, and that's a hard conversation to have to say, I think there are other people in the church with that gift I don't think you're one of them. And that's, that's a hard thing to say. When, but, but the problem is, that conversation gets awkward really fast when people are pursuing gifts instead of pursuing love. Because pursuing love says, I'll do whatever it takes to love people. And if I don't have a gift in that area, it's okay. I don't have to be that person. I'm just going to love. It, it, it helps a lot when we do this. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's keep reading. Um, verse 2. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks to, uh, not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. There's, there's that word build, by the way. Oika, oika, sorry. Oika, don't have it right now. You wrote it down, though. Um, now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. All right, so number two. Number two goes like this. I think in that whole section, if we keep it really simple and boil down what Paul is saying, he's saying prophecy is greater than tongues because it builds people up. So now you might want to know, well, what does Paul mean by prophecy and what does Paul mean by tongues? So we'll go back to point two, but let's get the next two slides up here and show these two. Tongues and interpretation. Uh, tongues would be a God-given ability to speak or, in the case of interpret, a language unknown to the speaker. So you don't know the language, 
But God's given you the ability to speak in this language. Now, I know somebody's going to ask me at cross-training, so I'm just going to bring it up now. Are these human languages or are they angelic languages? And, and if I'm being completely honest, I would say I don't know. But I think they could be either. I notice in chapter 14 that Paul talks as if they're human languages. But then I also know in chapter 13 he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels. Right? So are there angelic tongues? Does Paul open that door? I mean, I feel like he does. He brings it up himself. So whether they're human or whether they're divine, I I don't get the feeling that they're the same thing as Acts chapter 2 tongues. Now, cessationists are going to disagree with me on this, and that's okay, because I used to be one. Um, But I feel like when I read Acts and people are speaking in tongues, people heard the gospel in their own language. And I've heard stories about that happening today. That's awesome, by the way. If you start talking, speaking the gospel to somebody in a language they understand, that's amazing. Um, it seems like the tongues in Corinth are these other languages that nobody understands in the whole church. If you read chapter 14, it seems like nobody gets it. I'm just saying, that's what it sounds like. It sounds different. It sounds a little different than Pentecost as I read it. Okay? That's tongues and interpretation. Uh, next one's prophecy. I'm going with Dr. Wayne Grudem. I like Grudem, very conservative theologian. Um, he believes in inspiration of scripture, inerrancy. He has a nice, thick theology book. It's incredible. Um, he has what some would consider a controversial view of prophecy, but I, I, I don't think it has to be that way myself. He would say, and this is, I'm quoting him now, prophecy is telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. Telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. There's people in this church that have done that to me. That they've said things to me that I know are from the Lord to me. And I've received them as such. Yes, I've talked to other people that think they have this gift that have said harmful things to people in the church. And I recognize that. Here's the issue. Here's the issue. Sin. Every person that would speak a prophecy, every preacher, just like what I'm doing right now, happens to also be a sinner, and they won't get everything right. We have sinful thoughts, sinful emotions, and just because you heard something for the Lord and you shared it, doesn't mean you heard it right or you shared it right, you know? Or maybe you heard it right, but you didn't share it right. This is the classic, you know, I feel like colleges are full of young men who are like would-be prophets. God told me we're going to get married, young woman, you know? It's like... No, no, I heard it when I was at Moody, you know, and I continue to hear it. It's like, guys do this. They play that card, and it's like, stop playing the card. You're not a prophet. And I think God's going to talk to her about it too, and not just you. I think something else is talking, and it's your emotions. It's your attractions. That I think that, if God is saying something to you, I think it's filtered through, I really like you, you look really good, you know. Okay, all right, um. Let's just be honest. Let's be practical here, okay? So there's no guarantee that the person giving the prophecy is speaking it exactly right. Here's where I'm also going to disagree with cessationists. Cessationists would say that Old Testament prophecy and New Testament prophecy are identical. Identical. And I can respect that. I, I, I respect that. I happen to see it differently because... It seems like in the New Testament, as I'm going to say in a few minutes here, 
we're supposed to evaluate prophecies. Do you ever think the people of Israel were supposed to stand back and go, now, should I listen to Isaiah today or not? Or how about Jeremiah? Is he speaking a good word or not today? You know, it seems like in the early church, it's like, if you say something, I've got I've to evaluate it according to the Bible with a group of believers. It's evaluation that has to happen. If somebody says, I feel like the Lord is sharing this with, through me to you, evaluation time immediately should kick in. Is that really from the Lord? Is he really saying that? In the Old Testament, the, the mark of a prophet is whether he leads the people to worship God or worship idols. You know, follow Torah or follow the ways of the pagans. That, that's, I think it's in Deuteronomy. I wrote the reference down. But um, th- there's an evaluation, too, in the Old Testament. It just looks different in the New. I can't get over this idea that Paul says you should, you know, desire to be prophets. It just feels different than what the Old Testament prophet was like. I don't know. But I, I've had my share of run-ins with um, people who prophesy maybe in an odd way, and it's hard. I remember when I was in Brian Bookstore working as a, as a Christian bookstore in Peoria, and a person came in, and they found out I was going into ministry, and, and they, they wanted to, like, take me around the corner to this private place, and they, and they kind of prophesied over me. And, and it's like, part of me was like, that was really cool. And then part of me was like, I'm not sure even what they were saying. It was something about... Um, I think they prayed for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. Now, maybe God did that in that moment. Like, I can't even say. But teenage me was like, what is this? You know, I don't even know what this is. Um, I can tell you, though, I don't despise that. And even though it seemed strange to me at the moment, I, I don't despise it. And maybe there is something to it. Uh, I do know, and you've heard me tell this story. Um, when I was in Uganda, my friend Pastor Daniel, pastor in Uganda, had the dream the day before we were in that great car accident where we almost went into the water. And his dream was, I was in the water, but I made it out. And I think that was just kind of, I think it was God saying, this could have happened to you, but look what I did. And I even let a pastor dream about it. And he prayed for you. And so you didn't end up going down that ravine into the lake, you know. It didn't happen because he prayed, because I gave him a dream, and he prayed in response to it. Like, Okay, all right. I'm with that. And I've heard other stories like that. Um, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for people in this church that I believe have a gift of prophecy and have spoken things into my life that I needed to hear. I bless God for those people. Um, So there's that. Um, But here's Paul's, if you go back to point two, this is Paul's thing. This is what he's going for. He says, the person that's prophesying is greater than the person speaking in tongues. Because the person speaking in tongues is doing something that builds themselves up. But when you get together as a church, it's about building everybody else up. Love is not me-focused. It's not me-focused. It's you-focused, right? It's sacrificial. It's benefiting other people. And that's what prophecy does. Unless you're telling the girl that she needs to marry you, then I think it's you-focused. Just putting it out there, all right? Putting it out there. All right. Um, let's keep reading. Uh, did I get through verse 12 yet? This will be interesting. I did. So let me read verse 12 again to you. No, I didn't. Verse 6. Here we go. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what's played? 
If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So it is with yourselves. If your tongue, if with your tongue you utter speech is not intelligible, how will anyone know what's said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world. Here's the human language thing I was talking about. He seems to be thinking of human languages. And none was without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. Now, this wasn't one of my points, but I just want to point this out. The word foreigner is like the word for barbarian. So he's saying, like, if, if, if you speak in tongues, if everybody starts speaking in tongues in the church, and nobody knows what's being said, it's like we're actually distancing ourselves from one another. We're actually distancing ourselves. And then he says, verse 12, So with yourselves, I love this, Since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. That means don't strive for your own personal spiritual experience, but strive to build somebody else up. That is love. So number three goes like this. In one sense, every gift is miraculous. Every gift is a miracle gift. He says, Don't you want to have manifestations of the Spirit? Well, yeah, you want the speaking in tongues manifestations. How about all the other ones? Do you want those too? See, the thing is, someone with the gift of encouragement can come up to you and say a good word, and you're just like blown away. Like, that was so good for my soul that you said that. You probably don't put in those words, but you feel it. You walk out of church and you're like, I'm so glad I talked to him today because he said that to me person that said it probably thought about it for like half a second and then just kept going with their day. You know what I mean? Like they weren't like, hey, did you all see the manifestation of the Spirit I just brought down on Ralph over there? I just said, he's an awesome guy, <laughs> you know? And Ralph's like, yeah, you know. No, it's like, it's like who cares, you know? I, I, just, I just do what I do. I come in here, I build people up, I encourage people. That's what I do. It comes natural and I walk out of the building and don't think twice about it. But Ralph thought about it all week, manifesting the Spirit. I just went over and I just, I just helped my neighbor out, you know, and, I, and, I, and I, you, you fixed their dishwasher. And, and, and they're like, why would you do that and not take compensation? And you're just like, I, I didn't think about it, you know, but it's a gift of service coming out, the gift of helps. And you're just like, what? And they're blown away. Manifest the Spirit and build people up. These are not the only miracle gifts, even though I understand why we call them that. Okay. Um, maybe we sell short so many of the other gifts by not thinking of them as miracle gifts, manifestations of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I think so. Um, okay, let's keep reading. How am I doing? I am not far enough. Okay. Um, Fifteen. Um, how did I flip over there? Okay. Nope. Um, 13. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray for the power to interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll pray with my mind also. I'll sing praise with my spirit, but I'll sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. We'll say a couple points from this, okay? Number four, both your spirit and your mind should be engaged in worship. Like, that's the best case scenario. That your mind's involved, that your spirit's involved. Singing to God is not just like an intellectual exercise, Like, I agree with everything I just sung, every line. I got it. I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that. Got it. Um, it, It's not just mind, although it is mind. Because if it was just spirit, you could sing all sorts of things that may or may not be true about God, but it's like, oh, my spirit feels it. I just just feel it. It was good, right? It reminds me of the Rich Mullins line. I've probably said this to you guys before, but I hope he actually said it. I don't know if it might be, you know true or false, but, but someone came up to him after a concert and was talking to Rich Mullins, the, the great musician, wrote Awesome God, you know, about um, how, how moved they were um, during part of the song, and, and Rich Mullins said, no, that wasn't you, that was the kick drum, you know, and so it's like, yeah, I, I, I get it, but if I, if I could push back on Rich Mullins just a little bit, if I could just push back, I love the guy, he wrote some great music, love his heart, humble man, um, yeah, Putting music to words does move my spirit in a different way, right? It does move my emotions. I mean, sometimes I've sang songs in other churches, that, and, and you almost feel like you're at a funeral, you know? And, and, and there's nothing celebratory about it. And, and yet there, there's, there's a place for grief, by the way, in worship. There's a place for that, and maybe that church was channeling that, you know? But there's also a place for celebration, you know, there's both ends of that, but but my spirit responds to even how a song is played, does it not? You know, you ever seen like a really some? I should have got a clip for you. Like like a some people do this on YouTube. They have like a really scary movie clip, and they put it to like circus music, and you're watching it, and you're like, it's not scary anymore. Because it's like the totally wrong music to go with that scene. It changes everything. And so, can I just say, music does stir my spirit. And it's okay. Because I want my mind to be involved. And I want my spirit to be involved. But I don't want to sing falsehoods. I want to sing truth. And that's mind and spirit actively engaged. With tongues, Paul says, it's probably all spirit. And that doesn't benefit the people around you. That's what you should think about. Okay. Um, The second thing I'll say about this section we just read is in verse 19, I'd rather speak five words that are intelligible than 10,000 in a tongue. Uh, let's just say this is God's math. Five clear words are better than 10,000 unclear ones. That's number five. Maybe five? Okay, yeah. Five clear words are greater than 10,000 unclear ones. I know, it's brilliant logic, isn't it? It's just, it's so simple and it's, it's so there. But isn't it true that... that you could apply this to tongues and prophecy, but you could also apply it in other areas as well. If, if a pastor preaches at this level up here and you're like trying to grasp it, you know, how good is that for you? You know, I mean, I, I love preaching deep and people tell me that I do. I hope I do. But, but I love making it understandable because if you walk out and you know continuationism, awesome. But, but what did you get out of all this? Um, Five clear words are greater than 10,000 unclear ones. So I don't want to pick on any of my brothers and sisters, but I just want to point out a trend I see in some places. Sometimes I see seminars, and it's kind of like, it's kind of like come to my seminar, and I'm going to teach you the prayers that will kick the demons out of your life. And I know them all by name. I don't know any demons by name, you know? 
Maybe Beelzebub, which, right? I mean, or Azazel, wasn't that the scape, the goat, you know? Um, maybe, but like, I don't know the other ones. Some people, they, 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 they know all of that, and they, and they have all of these prayers that are going to get rid of those things. And it's like, it's like they're saying, I have secret knowledge that I'm going to give to you if you come to my seminar and listen to me. I know the secrets of spiritual warfare. Now, I believe in spiritual warfare. I do spiritual warfare. I love that our rooted discipleship thing had a, a spiritual warfare night. I, I totally get it. But here's what I want from my spiritual warfare instructor. I want him to say, turn in your Bibles to this, where Christ tells us how to fight. Where Christ tells us how to battle the spiritual forces of darkness. I, I suspect that there's a little too much um, unclear words on that and super insider language that will help you do this when I want to say, give me the word of God. Because if you're telling me that Christ doesn't give me the answer to dark forces, then what good is my Bible for, really? You know, If he doesn't give me power and if he doesn't help me fight, I'm done. I'm done. If I need to go to your seminar, otherwise the demons have got me. No. Um, am I preaching yet? Okay. Um, hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, here's verse 20. Brothers, don't be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it's written, by people of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, and even then they won't listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say, you're out of your minds? But if all prophesy, an unbeliever, an outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so by falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. So when we worship, we ought to consider the outsider as we worship. The person coming in here that doesn't know, have a clue about what we're doing. Would they get it? Would they understand what we're doing here today? And if everybody's speaking in tongues, as, as Paul says in this example, if everybody does it, there'll be no clue what's being said. But all of you guys will feel spiritual about it, Corinthians, you know, because you're going to all be doing your thing. He gives an example in Isaiah, and I don't have time to take you there. But if you want to jot the reference down and look at it later, it's this. Um, I lost it. Isaiah, Isaiah, someone's got a foot. Isaiah 28, 9 through 14. Isaiah 28, 9 through 14. And if you just read the one verse Paul quotes with the lips of strange tongues and foreigners, I'll speak to this people, you know. If you just read that one verse, you may not get the full thing. Let me give you the full thing, and you can look it up later. Um, Basically, God is talking to the people of Israel, northern kingdom. They're rebelling. They're following idols. And God's speaking to them. And, and the people of Israel say, don't treat us like babies. Don't treat us like children. It's precept upon precept and teaching upon teaching. That's what the scripture says. You're treating us like kids, God. And God says, you don't want to follow my simple teachings? I made it clear. You don't want to follow them? Fine. I'm going to bring in a foreign army, and you're not going to hear my simple words anymore, my fatherly words. You're going to hear foreign words. 
You're going to hear foreign languages. They're going to come in here and they're going to take you over. That's the words you're going to hear. You're not even going to understand them. Wouldn't it be better to understand my simple words to you, my people that I love, other than hearing the, the, the words of an army that's coming in to kill and to plunder and to take? That's God's argument. How in the world does that apply to tongues? I looked up some scholars on this. I was shocked to see some of them say, we don't know. We don't know. Nobody knows. Um, I was really surprised by that. But, because I, I think there's an answer here. Like, what's the connection between Isaiah? Uh, l- let, me, let me propose something. See, see what you think. I couldn't find this among the scholars, but I, for me it, it made a lot of sense. Um, if an unbeliever comes into church and everybody's speaking in tongues, they're going to say, Paul says, you're all out of your mind, and they're going to walk out the door. There's no chance to share the gospel with somebody if everybody is speaking in tongues. There's no chance. They're going to say, this doesn't make any sense. I'm done. And it's, it's almost like your foreign languages have shut the door of the gospel to them. And when God brought foreign armies into Israel, that was like big time God spanking time. You know, it was like, my people, I'm done talking to you. Now you're going to get the discipline. I'm bringing in a foreign army. They're going to speak other languages. And it's like they're coming in with judgment. If the person comes into church and everybody's speaking in tongues, they walk out the same way they walk in under God's judgment. Give them a chance, you know. Speak five intelligible words and give them a shot at hearing the gospel and not being under God's judgment, not being a child of wrath. That, that, that's the connection that I see. You may need to look at that more yourself, but <clears throat> that's what I see. Tongues are like, you don't understand it. So it's kind of like saying, you can leave now without hearing anything about God's love. You're missing it. Okay. Um, so number six is, and I'm over time. Y'all, everybody okay? Okay? All right. Um, <clears throat> be considerate of the outsider in worship. I asked you, okay? Nobody said no. All right? Um, be considerate of the outsider in worship. Be considerate of the outsider in worship. So, so somebody comes in here, is what we're doing, does it make sense? Do we think about them when they come in? Are we increasing our hospitality? Which, by the way, that's another plan that the board is actively working on. And I think I'll have a leader announcement for that hospitality increase soon, which I'm super excited. I think it's so great. Um, be considerate of the outsider in worship. How are they coming in? Are they understanding what's going on here? Where do I go? Verse uh, 29. We'll jump around here at the end a little bit. Look at verse 29. Um, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. So number seven, evaluate spiritual words. Look, I'm only going to 20 points, so you've got a little bit of time left, so just get comfortable. No, all right, I'm almost done. I'm almost done. Um, (laughs) Number seven, Evaluate spiritual words. So again, I think this feels different than the Old Testament. I think if we're being honest, it looks different than the Old Testament prophets, right? The Old Testament prophets would come in and they'd just be like, thus saith the Lord. Boom, you know? And in the New Testament, you got people in the church and he's like, let two or three prophets speak and let other people weigh what they're saying. Evaluate it. It feels different, doesn't it, for the evaluation piece to be so important there? Later, Paul says, don't despise prophecies. 
I wonder why he said that. I wonder why Paul would say, don't despise prophecies. Because maybe you and I have a problem. Maybe in our pride, someone comes up to us and says something from the Lord to us. And maybe we have a tendency to say, that's not God. You couldn't possibly be his mouthpiece in my life in that moment. Like maybe you accept your pastor doing that. By the way, how many times has it been where I've said something or another pastor has said something and you've been like, does he know what I did this week? You know, was he, was he reading my emails? No, no. I, I think sometimes preaching just drifts naturally into prophecy. It's just, it's like, you might think it's a rabbit trail, but it was like for you. Can I give you the ultimate example of, of my favorite example of this in my life? Oh, man. I was preaching for Grad Sunday. It must have been 2009, 2010, something like that. I was preaching Job. It was the center of the book. I forget what chapter that is, but it's like Job writes a hymn about wisdom. It's an awesome chapter. Right in the middle of Job. And I was preaching to the graduates. It's a grad message about wisdom, seeking God's wisdom. <clears throat> and I got to the end, of the end of the sermon, and one of the graduates, his mom was in the church that day. She is not normally in the church. She's not... If she is a believer, I'm not the one to judge, but not living a lifestyle of a believer. And I knew this because this young man told me. And I saw her in the back in the right corner. And I was finishing my message, and I was going to give an example of something. And as I, it wasn't in my notes. And as I started to say it, I knew the example would, it would be at her. I knew the example would touch on her life. And in the moment that I started to say the example that just spontaneously came to my mind, in that moment, <clears throat> I said to myself, I can't do that. I can't give this example because I know it's for her. And that is so awkward. And she's going to know I'm giving it for her. She's going to know it. And so I, I, I kind of like, I wanted to stop myself. And then I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like I'm preaching. I'm not going to stop myself. And so I said it. And I kind of looked over there. And I'm, you know, and I look back, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and, and I just said it, and then I got done preaching, and instead of like going down and congratulating all of the graduates, I remember I went downstairs to the youth room, and I sat on one of the front chairs in the youth room all by myself in that room, and I was like, what did I just do, you know, did I just call her out in the sin that I knew that she was committing, did I just do that, did I just look at her when I said it, and I just about freaked out, but now I'm a little more comfortable, hopefully, when, when preaching drifts into prophecy, hopefully I can embrace it. Because I don't look at myself as a prophet. I don't think I do that a lot. But, but I do think in preaching, it just happens. I probably don't even know it. And then people come up to me and they'll say, did, did you know this is going on in my life? And I'm like, I had no idea. Usually, though, I say, yes, I had every idea and it was totally, I was just totally wanted to call you out. But that's, it's not true. It's not true. I don't do that on purpose. I don't, but it happens. All right, we're at the tail end. I'm saying evaluate spiritual words. Uh, you don't just take pro- you don't despise prophecies, but you do evaluate them. All right. And some people have given false prophecies. Some people have said incredibly hurtful things in the name of prophecy. I don't even feel like I want to list them right now, but I, I've heard a few people say it, and I know it's true. Be careful. Um, can I skip down to number nine? Number nine, we're going to close this out right now. Oh, I bet you want to know what number eight was, didn't you? 
Some of you are dying, all right? Number eight, real quick. Number eight. Um, worship should reflect the character of the one worshipped. I can say more on that, but I'm going to... Uh, if your worship doesn't reflect the character of God, we, we all got some problems. And number nine... Uh, lastly, this is verse 39. This is the last verse in the chapter, right? So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. All right? Seriously. We're not forbidding tongues. You notice in this whole chapter, I'm just going to point this out. You do what you want with this. The Corinthian church had made a mess of a lot of things, right? They made a mess of communion. But Paul doesn't say stop doing communion. They made a mess of speaking in tongues, and it was a mess. Can you imagine all these people getting together and speaking in tongues and someone coming in and they're just like, I don't even understand what's going on here, you know? They made a mess. But Paul never says speaking in tongues is a bad gift. You need to stop it, quit it. You never get a hint that Paul is somehow downgrading the gift. And because Paul doesn't downgrade it, I don't downgrade it. Um, if you speak in tongues today, I hope you feel affirmed by this. If you're a cessationist, I hope you know that I, I respect your opinion and much of my extended family on my side is, is cessationist and it's like I respect them deeply. Um, in my disagreement, I don't think we need to hold this as controversial. I don't think we need to walk down that road. I think we can respect our brothers and sisters that are different than us. Um, but may everything that we do be for the building up of others out of love. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we're going to walk out of here today. And uh, maybe for some of us, it settles some things. Maybe for others of us, it opens some uncomfortable places up. Hopefully no one's angry. Um, we just, we just want to we we understand your word. We want to desire to prophesy. And if there's those that feel differently, we respect that thought as well. We look to your word and we want to get it. We want to understand it. We want to do it well. And I am so glad at this church, that is something we can all agree on. May we be people of the book. May we stand on every word that you have spoken. May we compare every experience to what you have said in the word of God. And as we go, as your people this morning, may we build each other up. And so all of God's people will say to that, Amen? Amen.